No tractor talking bed. Got it. Welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome back to another episode of Barnyard Language. Thank you for joining us again on the podcast today. It is our special Valentine's Day episode, and our husbands are disappointed they didn't get invited back, but we have another I don't think they're disappointed instead. at all. You don't think I mean, there's... I don't know. Yeah. I, my husband was curious about whether he was coming back. Was Jim... Jim didn't want to come back again? Jim looked fairly joyful at not being involved again although i know he and hugh are uh in fairly close messenger contact these days I yeah think, they could probably just call so each other stop. if they want to talk yeah 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 so what is going on in iowa these days uh packing arlene that's it. yeah yeah, yeah. you're getting how many bags you're bringing are you just trying to get everything into one very small bag you know i'm moving right <laughs> yeah you're, you got a passport and now you're moving to canada that's not quite the same as i'm out of here i'm going to arlene's never <laughs> said anything about coming back i tend to be a horrible overpacker so i'm trying to overpack so that then i can unpack like two-thirds of it and pack like a normal human this is my got it. my approach this time so we'll see how it goes yes and we have put out a call to any eastern ontario listeners if you want to come hang out with us you have to join the Facebook group first because that's where the details are going to be. But if you live near me, which is, you know, Eastern Ontario, then you can come and see Katie because she's going to leave Iowa. And you can come and see Arlene the, uh, too because it's not what Yeah, you can come see me too. Yeah, yeah. I, I still live there. How is everyone feeling? Do the kids know you're leaving? Um, I think so. It's still a while off. I usually don't tell my people until like the day before. Yeah. I hadn't told him yet. I think Daddy did. Uh, the boy child, once he heard that there weren't any tractors and I wasn't going to the beach, he doesn't care. Yeah, I'm uh, interested in that. The girl child, I think she was watching TV when he told her, so I don't think she even heard him. But, you know, no, I don't think they care. I heard your kids are warming up some Iowa jokes, though, so that's good. You yes, know, yeah. I'm impressed that I, uh, they know was, any Iowa jokes, but I, whatever. I was telling Katie the other day, my now 15-year-old just turned 15 this week. That was one of our uh, updates in our house. We had another uh, age upgrade, and he's like inches taller than me now. Um, they went on a boys' weekend to Syracuse in uh, New York State, which isn't all that far from us. And so my husband took the three boys, and they spent the, the weekend down there just to have a change of scenery, do something different. So I asked my 15-year-old, what are you looking forward to doing when you're in the States? And uh, he's like, healthcare jokes. And I said, that's not very nice. And he said, well, that's freedom for you. <laughs> so he's already ready to start. I just like that your 15-year-old is making healthcare jokes. <laughs> yeah, like, that's... he knows about the difference in our healthcare systems. I'm not sure how much he actually knows, but he knows that it's, that it's a, a good way to make fun of people, apparently. I don't know what he's learning on YouTube, let's be honest. 
but hopefully the jokes are good. Katie, Katie can vet them. Yeah. So what's happening on your farm, Arlene? Well, we're getting a fun mix of weather. It went from minus 35 to plus 5 today, so good pneumonia weather for um, animals. But I, I should knock on wood or something. Um, so far, things are okay. Um, it was a really weird swing and a few things froze, but then, you know, immediately thawed out. And now it's weird and warm and, yeah, just strange, strange weather stuff going on. Um, like I said, the boys went away for the weekend, so it was just my daughter and I here in the house for a couple of days, which was kind of nice, very quiet. And I actually set up a little podcasting, like permanent setup. So we are not professionals, as any listeners will know. Um, but until this week, I had been taking everything from its various hiding places around the house and bringing it to our toy room and that's where I would record and then I have to pack everything up and put it all away again. So I actually cleared out a tiny corner in a cabinet that still holds our dress-up clothes but now has a little space for me so I have my own little laptop and my microphone and everything is set up all the time so I don't have to unpack and repack everything every time which has been a huge bonus. And then Typically, my microphone and my headphones work when I log in every time, which didn't always work before. So that is a huge bonus as well, especially because this was a busy week. We had four interviews in one week, Katie. It was a lot. That's a lot. So, yeah, we are actually pre-recording a bit. So that'll hopefully swing us through some of the busier farm times because we've been so efficient through the winter and means Katie can take a break and come to Ontario too. So next week's to record together in person. Yeah, we might record together in person for the first time and see each other in person for the second time ever. Can you tell we're excited? Yeah. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Anyway, um, we are excited to share this Valentine's Day episode with you and I think that you're all going to enjoy what our guest has to say. So here she is. And I'm going to interrupt you right here, Arlene. If any of our listeners thought that I was not that excited today, it's because there is a pot roast cooking in my kitchen and it is two hours past lunchtime and I'm very, very hungry and it smells incredible. And I've been having <laughs> so an increasingly difficult focused. time sitting here smelling this damn pot roast for supper that <laughs> right. I can't eat now anyway. Oh, sure you yes. can. Go hack a slice off. No, of it like right it's now. not finished cooking. It's, oh. Ew. Yuck. But it smells Ooh. really, really good. So. <laughs> okay. Well, you can't smell I the pot roast. I just wanted people to know that it's it's not Arlene. It's me and my pot roast yeah. that is. Your energy equates to yes. what's in the slow cooker. Yeah. All right. Here she is. Today we are talking to Carrie Pollard, who's joining us from Ontario for a very special Valentine's Day episode. So Carrie, we start each of our interviews with the same question. And as you probably know, this is a way to introduce yourself to our listeners. And we always ask, what are you growing? So for our farming guests, that's crops and livestock, but also kids and businesses and lots of other things. So Carrie, what are you growing? Well, we're green farmers here. We're just, our farm is north of Guelph, Ontario. And so we grow soybeans, wheat, and corn primarily. Um, obviously, all of our fields are covered in snow and freezing rain specifically today. But, but that's the crops that we primarily grow. Um, we're also growing five children, and, ranging in age from 1 to 14. So quite a, 
quite a space there. And we have a Basset Hound puppy as well. Uh, so basically most of my days are filled with uh, cleaning up a lot of poo and cleaning up a lot of messes. Like that would be probably 60%, I would say, at least of my day is, is doing that kind of work. Um, and I'm also um, helping to grow two different businesses. I've started my own private practice, Flourish with Compassion Psychotherapy, um, and I've helped co-found the National Farmer Mental Health Alliance. So we're, we're trying to grow those as well. That is a lot of different things all at the same time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Carrie, how did you get into psychotherapy and what, um, what training do you have specifically for working with couples? Uh, they've written a lot of books on uh, couples work and family work. They have 40 plus years of experience uh, researching couple work, but also working with, I think they said something like 3000 couples. And so I really value their insights and all of the, the techniques and skills that they encourage people to develop are really simple, really strengths focused. And it just really resonates with my own personal experience, even just in my relationship with my husband. And so you'll find today, whenever I'm asked a question, I might be doing like a little plug for, for the Gottmans just because they are near and dear to my heart. And I really value their, their insight and couples work. But I will say with the things that I do answer today, um, all of that is really based on my personal experience and of course some of my training, but it's everybody's relationship experience is unique. So it's not meant to be therapeutic advice by any means. And I love how you, you start your podcast and just encourage people to consult their people. Um, so if anyone is listening today and they do really feel like they need some support in their relationships, whether it be with their spouse or their family members, um, I encourage you to go to the National Farmer Mental Health Alliance resources page. Uh, we list all the kinds of resources that can be available both in Canada and the US that are, are available for farmers specifically. So we already had your co-founder of the National Farmers Mental Health Alliance on at a previous episode. For, but for people who haven't caught up on every single episode, can you give like a brief outline of what that is and why the two of you started it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Loren and I connected um, maybe about a year and a half ago. We had been uh, connecting with a similar farm organization to offer some workshops and we just connected right away. We recognized the gap and the need uh, for providing basically mental health supports for farmers specifically. And what we, we noticed the gap was specifically having therapists that have that farm experience. So have lived the farm life, either are farmers or from farm families um, or currently farming, in my case, a farming partner. And so it's, it's having that kind of unique experience and also uh, working as a therapist really does help kind of understand the unique stressors and pressures that that farm families undergo. And so we collaborated together to create the National Farmer Mental Health Alliance. And what we do is we do offer um, resources and supports to agricultural organizations like workshops, uh, as well as articles. And we also uh, are providing something called agriculture informed therapy to other therapists and life coaches so that they can also uh, have come into uh, their work with their farm clients with a more informed perspective. Yeah, I think that's really important work, and I'm I'm excited about the the connections that the two of you are are making, and I hope that that only expands from here. 
So the main reason we had you on today is because we thought Valentine's Day last year, we had our own spouses on and not saying that we need therapy necessarily, but we thought that this was a good way to, to also celebrate Valentine's Day and acknowledge that farm couples do have unique challenges if you're in a, a partnership of some kind. And so I feel like one of the beginning questions for a lot of people is, one, how do you get your partner to go to therapy if you think you need to go to therapy? And how do you know if you need therapy? So those are kind of different questions, but but the kind of the basis of when should you go and how do you get someone else to agree to go? Well, and I think they are so interconnected, right? And so I think in terms of who can benefit, I think anybody can. Like in terms of our relationships, they're hard work. Um, you know, I think any relationship is hard work, but farming relationships, there can be additional stresses of having long hours, a lot of pressure, a lot of demands, and a lot of time your partner is also your coworker. Um, and so having such significant overlap, it can just be really helpful to make time and space to kind of work through personal issues. But even sometimes, especially like when it, you're considering succession planning and other challenges, it it can be farm related as well, where you just kind of really need some support to resolve any kind of conflict or confusion. Um, I often think of it like you just want to, sometimes you can just go into it just as like, like a tune up. Maybe everything's kind of flowing really well, but it would just be nice to improve these small little things. And so just like we might, I know this time of the year, we're ma- we're basically maintaining all of our machinery so that it's ready to go for planting season. And so it's not that there's any specific problem, but we're trying to do some troubleshooting to make sure that we don't discover a problem uh, right in the middle of planting. And so I think it's similar with relationships. Sometimes just having uh, a therapist that you feel comfortable with to go to on a semi-regular basis can just be a way to keep making sure that the your relationship is flowing well. In terms of getting your partner to therapy, that is a tricky one. I mean, we don't have control over anyone but ourselves. And so it's not something you can certainly force anyone into. That being said, I'm a big fan of strategic communication. Uh, I call it strategic in, in the sense that manipulative sounds really bad. So strategic is just meant by getting a buy-in, right? And so I think a lot of times when we, you know, I find people when they approach their partner, it's like, you're doing this, so we need to go, you need to go get help over this. And instead, I think if you approach it as a we issue, we're having problems communicating right now. Um, we're having troubles connecting. We're not, you know, we're not connecting on a physical level. And I miss that, you know, just going into it with a we problem and kind of joining with that, that challenge can really reduce defensiveness with your partner and might increase the likelihood that they'll, they'll want to go. And then I think it's never harmful to kind of sweeten the deal afterwards. Um, if you have kids like me, it would be kind of like, let's go for dinner afterwards. Like let's have some uninterrupted time away from the kids. And then like, let's do something we could enjoy afterwards. I like that to the, um, making it a little less onerous to go to therapy. So if someone has never gone to couples therapy, what can they expect? And it seems like that fear of, you know, for those of us who've gone to therapy before, like couples therapy is still a stressful idea, but I'm sure for folks who've never gone, it's got to be a real, um, not super appealing thing to do with your life. You know, or your very small amount of time away from the farm. Exactly. And I think I think that's important to recognize. Like it's just any kind of even doing individual therapy can be really difficult. It's it's one of those things where you go into it hoping to feel better, 
but sometimes initially as you're kind of opening up really painful things, either individually or as a couple, it's really hard. And so to dedicate really limited time to that can be really challenging because after, after a really difficult couple session, two people might feel really vulnerable and raw and like maybe even more agitated and then have to head back to work. And so I think part of the way of kind of preparing for it is just recognizing that creating change is hard. And, and that's kind of what therapy is. Therapy is kind of a blend of having a safe place to talk through things, but it's also a space to create change because you're often going because there's something that you want to be a little bit different or maybe a lot different. And so I think just kind of going into it, knowing that it's probably going to be hard work, but farming is hard and, and it's worth it. So, you know, I think that it's, it's just recognizing that to create the kind of change that you desire, it can really be helpful in terms of like what to expect from a practical standpoint. Um, every therapist kind of work a little bit different. Like when I work with couples, I generally meet with them together because I just want to make sure that I don't seem biased towards one person over the other. And so my first meeting will be meeting with two people together. We'll often just kind of get a, a, a general sense of what the problem story is, like what's going on, what's not working right from each other's perspective. And then we'll move into what what is it that you're looking for, right? So we kind of move more to a story of hope and kind of get a sense of what what each person would like more of. And what you can expect too is just kind of having uninterrupted time. And I think that's so rare. Like my husband, and I can never complete a conversation without an interruption. He might get a text, <laughs> excuse me, for, you know, for seed sale or he, you know, one of the kids for sure interrupt us undoubtedly, probably repeatedly. So to get that uninterrupted time to have like full complete sentences, a full conversation. And then we're couples therapy. I think like when I saw it on TV, I remember seeing this one episode on this old TV show when I was a kid and they both had these like rubber bats and they were kind of like hitting each other as a way of like working through their anger with each other. And couples therapy isn't like that at all. I mean, it's the, the therapist isn't there to break up the fights. The therapist is really just there to kind of help you understand each other. And a lot of times what's happening is, is when we're communicating with our partners, we're not hearing what they're saying. We're just listening to respond rather than listening to understand. Um, and so sometimes just having another person in that room with you to help interpret what's going on with each of you just really increases that understanding, which then can increase the connection. And I often think that's my role as a therapist is like to really get people to hear each other. It seems like, too, it's good to have that pressure to act like a grown up when you're having yeah. those conversations, because if it's already really hard to to get the time to have a conversation and it's a conversation you don't want to be having it can be really easy to justify letting yourself get distracted or letting yourself get interrupted or mm -hmm. whatever else and I would like to think that most people are going to fight a little bit fairer if there's a, a third party in a room you know at least for the it, first one or two sessions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It keeps you a little bit on your better behavior, hopefully. Yeah. So, Carrie, we polled our listeners and people who follow us on social media for some ideas for some questions. And the one that I feel like comes up all the time, no matter what kind of farmer you are or what your uh, situation is, is that having that feeling that the farm always comes first. And I feel like, especially once you have kids, that that brings a lot of resentment and sometimes disappointment or hurt from whichever partner feels like 
they're the one being put on the back, back burner. And sometimes kids can exacerbate that because then it's just one more thing to take care of and, and your needs just end up at the bottom of the pile again. So how do farm couples specifically cope with that idea that feeling like the farm always comes first and and working working our way through that as couples? Yeah, I think that is a really fair question and something that I definitely hear comes up a lot and definitely something that I can say I can even relate to as well in my own relationship because it is it is really challenging. Um, and I think that, you know, what I find works for me is just learning to be flexible with expectations. Like, obviously, um, for us, the planting seasons are, or the, the busy seasons are planting and harvest. So um, our contact with each other is really minimal. And we're each kind of working independently towards kind of the same goal, which is to keep the farm and the family stuff going. And so I think being flexible with those expectations based on the season. Um, but I think also it's, you know, a lot of times I think we expect um, it to be like a relationship in order for it to be maintained and to feel okay with it. It needs big things. Cause like you said, when you don't have a lot of time, even for yourself, just to even have a shower some days, um, it can be really difficult to pour anything else out into your relationship. And I think the biggest thing that I take in this, and, and here I am already going to the Gottman's research, is that they find that small gestures make a huge difference. Like a lot of times we think it's like this big thing that we have to go on on dates. I can't remember. I think it's over been, been over a year since my husband and I have been on a, a date, an actual date where we went out and I wasn't preparing the meal or he wasn't. So, you know, those kind of things are wonderful if you get the opportunity to do that. But if your lifestyle or your farm doesn't allow that, there can be other ways. And so I think um, small gestures can be like basically paying attention to the other person. Um, it can be sending a quick text or a funny meme. Or it can be a lot of times we have, during busy seasons, we have conversations on the phone. I think it breaks up the monotony of his time in the fields. And it also helps me have like another adult human to talk to since I have all small children mostly around me. Um, and so I think a, a big part of that is just recognizing those small connections can make a huge difference. And, and not just like the verbal mental connection, but also like the physical connection. Um, having a quick hug and kiss before you go can be just this way of like, okay, yeah, we're parents, we're partners, we're working together potentially on the farm as well, but, but we're, we're also romantic partners too. And so sometimes something that could take maybe five seconds, a quick hug goodbye could be just that gentle reminder of like, Hey, we're, we're also married partners or, or committed life partners too. And so I think it's just recognizing that those small things can make a, a, a big difference, can help make each other feel appreciated and valued. And then I think can hopefully reduce any kind of resentment or, or disappointment. So how do we not talk about business when we're in bed? Cause I'll tell you something there, it, it kills the romance to start, you know, any romance that might be left at this point, the minute you start talking about planting or cattle in bed, um, it's gone, you know, it's, <laughs> so how do you keep, work conversations at work when you work with at home with your family yeah I think that's a really good question I have to say like initially my answer would be you can't um I I don't know like I've seen couples and we've tried it ourselves to try to like put these like boundaries around conversations but then inevitably one of us violates it and ends up bringing up something related to the farm. And I'd say the other thing too is around kids. Like when we actually do go on a date, 
um, we're like, okay, we're not going to talk about kids. We're going to like talk about our adult stuff and, and be there. But the kids and the farm are both two really important things in our life. So it just naturally comes up when we're talking about things that matter. And so I think that when it comes to the bedroom, I agree with you. Like I would really love to see that ability to kind of make the bed um, just for sleeping and sex only. Like if you could just do just those two things, and I mean, no iPads, no phones, no TV. Like if you can keep those two things just for the bed, I think that's a beautiful boundary and I fully encourage people to do that. Um, But I think otherwise kind of having boundaries around the talk around the farm, I think it's good to be intentional when you're at home or when you're at the dinner table or when you're trying to do some non-farm activities to just say, hey, let's be curious about each other. Let's be curious about what each person is doing outside of, of our farm and our family. And I think it's also important to be flexible to allow the farm stuff to come up because it's one of those things that if I were to say the two of you don't think about a pink bunny for the next one minute, you're going to think about a pink bunny. In fact, probably the pink bunny popped into your head immediately, right? And so as soon as we start to try to be too rigid with our boundaries, we end up violating it right away. And then a lot of people will just give up on it. So I think if you can kind of say to yourself, hey, let's be intentional around focusing on each other and being curious about each other and allow ourselves to talk about the farm or the kids or anything else as it comes up, I think that'll be a, a lot easier to, to kind of maintain that. So I know right now um, it's, it's our sort of our off season, our equipment maintenance space, but my husband, what he does as his kind of off farm interest, and you're going to laugh because I'm saying off farm, but what he likes to do is he likes to restore Massey tractors. So it's not like totally unfarm related. <laughs> it's still farm related, let's be honest. But but it's, he's really passionate about that. He's passionate about that, plus he restores some Honda dirt bikes. And so that's one of the beautiful things that he does. So we talk about the farm a little bit less this time of the year, and it gives us the opportunity to talk about other things because he's able to invest in other things about himself. And I think that's something that we have to be really mindful of. Like as a couple, as an individual in a couple, it's taking some time and space to have your own interests of things that you do that's separate from the farm. I mean, for example, this podcast that the two of you are doing is farming-related, but it's also probably really meeting some kind of like personal values and needs and gives you something else to get excited about um, and connect with other people and have great stories to share with your partners at a later point. So I think investing in yourself, being curious about your partner and being flexible with those boundaries can, can make a really, really great difference, except for the bed. If you can keep the bed sacred, that would be really nice. No tractor talking bed. Got it. That being said, we don't. <laughs> we violate that all the time. <laughs> like... So we had a bunch of more questions about com- communication, and I've kind of categorized them a little bit. So we had a couple that were about both kind of on the farm and in the house, how we communicate about the little stuff. And, you know, whether it's on the farm, trying not to make one or the other feel like an employee, or same thing in the mm-hmm. house, if, if one person is kind of the lead when it comes to household activities, not making the other person feel like they're being nagged or delegated to, but also sharing the work, but communicating though, you know, the stuff that can end up being kind of nitpicky. How, what are some tricks for communicating those types of things with each other? Well, I think that's a, a, a excellent question. I'm going to be honest. I even last night before, um, as I was preparing for the podcast, I, I sat down with my husband and it was like, hey, here's some of the questions. What do you think about the answers? Um, and I was really excited that our answers actually weirdly aligned. I didn't expect that. Um, but for him, his answer to this question would be, 
we're a team, go into it with a team mentality and make sure that you create systems that work. And then if you create systems that work, um, then you shouldn't be having a lot of problems. So you can tell he comes at us with a really wonderful managerial perspective. For me, I agree. You're a team. That's a, that's a huge part. And I think that when you're working with your partner or with your family, it's so much easier to speak without editing because these are like your people. They're kind of stuck with you. So you feel like you can just kind of say whatever comes into your head and let it come right out of your mouth. Um, and it's even easier to do that when you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed or you haven't had very much sleep. Um, and so we can all kind of get irritable and have a hard time choosing our words. But that being said, like I'm a huge advocate for editing as much as possible. I think it helps relationships be healthy. So when you think about uh, addressing your partner, if it's a nitpicky thing, or if it's like, in my case, because I would be the employee in a relationship where you have to talk down to someone in a way about something that's being done wrong. I think it's just really important to just be aware of your words. Think about how you would talk to your bank manager or how you'd speak to your um, one of your kids or maybe even the teacher of one of your kids and just find a way to, to communicate it in a way that can be a little bit kinder um, and, and give yourself grace when that doesn't happen because you can always apologize and make repairs. Um, but as much as possible, I think just being a little bit more careful with your words can make a huge difference. And I have to say, it was funny because when I was reading through these questions yesterday, I had received actually a, a text message. And I remember there was this whole series um, on social media of, of people posting their conversations with their partners uh, in farming that they have over text, which were really, really funny. And so I could probably post this one. But my husband was asking me to order this electronic transfer pump. But, and I give him props for this, he actually added the word please, which to me makes a huge difference. And then he added a kissy face emoji. So it probably only took an extra one to two seconds to just soften that request. And, and what it did is it actually made me want to take a break from my work, order the pump, and then go back to my work. And I'm going to be a bit honest, like if he had asked in a more of an abrupt way, like get this pump for me, I probably wouldn't have done it right away. Like I, it really would have like been like on the list, but not at the top of the list. And so being mindful of our communication doesn't have to take a lot of work and it can have a huge impact of wanting to work together on things. Yeah, that's really true. Because the way you get asked to do something or told to do something is, <laughs> well, yeah, and whether you get asked or you get told, <laughs> those are two That's a huge distinction, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That is definitely. Yeah, I and like as a that. parent, we as a parent, we know <laughs> that that's, that's a distinction too, right? And sometimes you have to be told to do something. And, but most of the time we can be asked. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It feels better. Yeah. What about situations when you ask for help because you genuinely need it or want it and the response that you get back is that they're too busy or too tired or like we said before, the farm comes first. How do you, Mm -hmm. how do you deal with that situation when you're, you are putting yourself out there and asking for help and the answer is no or not right now? Yeah. And I think that comes up a lot. Um, and it's, and it's tough. Like I, I, I do really think there isn't a perfect answer to that. I think it's one of those things where I always use the word both and like, I like the word and to recognize you can have multiple feelings at one time and you can be really too tired and busy to want to help. And you can push yourself to help. And sometimes um, you might want to give your partner grace and let them have the get a, let them off the hook, right? And so I think that again we have to recognize 
that we're in this together. We're a team. We're a team as in terms of how we're approaching our, our family. We're a team as in terms of how we're approaching our farm. Um, and I think it's just really important to as much as possible be able to be there because I often find most people, whether no matter what side you are in the partnership of the farm, it's really hard to ask for help. We have a lot of strong people who are incredibly resilient. And so by the time most people are asking for help, you're really needing the help. Like you're not, you're, you're probably at the breaking point. And so I think as much as possible for us to be able to say, Hey, I can push it a little bit, a little bit more. My, my husband always says you can push it 20% further, which isn't always a healthy thing, but it's sometimes when it comes to our relationships, if you could just kind of give yourself a little extra push, whether that be to help with cleaning up after dinner or bathing the kids, um, or maybe just going for a walk together because, Maybe you just need some time away from the house and, and to be able to be together. I think that investment is really important too, because I think that a lot of us have to remember that, you know, as much as the farm is a priority for most of us, and I forget what the statistic is, I think it's somewhere around 90% of farms are family run. And so the family is important to you. And a lot of times there is no farm without the family. And so saving some of that energy to invest in your relationship is, is really critical. And in order to invest in your relationship, you also have to invest in yourself. Like it's that analogy that you always hear when you're on an airplane that you have to kind of put the, the oxygen mask on yourself. I think a lot of times when our, our partners or ourselves say we're too tired and busy, it's because we've pushed ourselves beyond capacity and not left anything for ourselves. So I think if we can find space to, to care for ourselves, then it gives us a little bit more energy left to also care for our relationships. Yeah. We had another listener ask about helping a spouse or partner who doesn't have a farm background to better understand stressful seasons or, or you know, farming in, in general. And I know, you know, that's a lot of your work with the Mental Health Alliance is, is helping to therapists to understand. But in a partnership, I imagine that's a, a unique challenge is trying to to have someone else adapt to a lifestyle that they didn't grow up with. So do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. And I think that is so important. And I have to say that is definitely something that I can relate to. I mean, prior to, to meeting my husband, I grew up in a rural community. I grew up in Chatham, Ontario. So really small community. I did corn to tasseling. So it wasn't that I didn't grow up in a farming community because I did very much grow up in that kind of rural experience. Uh, but my family are not farmers. Um, so I didn't have that kind of experience growing up. And so, you know, when I got married and became a part of my husband and his family, I, it was it was very eye opening for me to see what that what that experience was like, and I just have to say, what has been really helpful for me is having him prepare me. It's like, this is what I have on the agenda today, or this is what my week looks like, or this is what this you know this month is going to look like. This is how busy it's going to be, and so if I know um, that I'm going to be doing most things by myself, uh, whether it be navigating the childcare drop off or anything on the home front, then that helps me be like, okay, I know this is, this is happening. So I think preparation and communication about what to expect and what's going on can really, really make a big difference. And I think both partners can just continue to be curious about each other. Like I think that the person with the non-farm job, it's really good for you to ask questions like what's happening, what's going on right now on the farm and, and vice versa. So I think if we're curious about each other and try to look for the best in our partner, it can be a lot easier to be patient, um, even during those really, really frustrated times. And I know that we each year, like we've had to learn how to be flexible. Like I know the, 
the first few years I would, I would bring out, um, meals, meals to the field and coffees and things like that. And, and that helped me feel connected and involved. Um, but then the more kids that added up, (laughs) right, it just got really, really, really stressful and overwhelming for me. So even though it was good for the kids and it, and, and it was good for my husband, it was, it was too overwhelming. So we learned how to flex again and we figured out ways for, for him to be and, and for our family to be well-fed, but for me not to be taking on that additional task of running all over the place because our farms are, are quite spread out sometimes to hours apart. So I think a big part of this is just learning to be, be flexible and figuring out how you can support each other. I know, Carrie, it's made a huge difference in our relationship to try to really be intentional about asking what the other one has going mm-hmm. on. Because it's so easy yeah. to get this whole list going in your head that you just sort of assume that it must be on some like familial brain length something that, you know, mm-hmm. your, your partner will magically know what your priorities are. And it's, it's really hard for anyone to interrupt their list of priorities to prioritize somebody else's priorities. Um, Mm-hmm. So it turns out that it's a lot easier if you work on your list of priorities together before either of you gets too I love that. set in stone about it. Because especially on weekends, mm-hmm. you know, one of us will say, but I had this, 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 and this planned. I'm like, cool, you didn't mention any of that until Saturday lunchtime. So exactly, you, know, yeah. um, you can't expect too much buy-in from the rest of us. How can we address when we can't share our burdens with our partner because we know that it won't be good for their mental health and not in a a martyrdom kind of way. But there are just times that a problem shared is not a problem halved, you know. I agree. Yeah, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. I You know, you want to think that your partner can be your everything, um, and that you can share things freely, but I agree with you. Sometimes part of loving someone is recognizing when sharing something with them would be too much. But at the same time, you don't want to be left alone and isolated in, in dealing with that either. And so I think that's why a big part of being healthy in a relationship is to be healthy as an individual and to make sure that you have your people and your supports that are people that you can talk to. So if you can't share something with your partner, do you have a friend that you can talk to about it? Um, or to have your own therapist to be able to kind of talk through and kind of get that, that, that needed support from, or a parent or, or, you know, anyone else where that would be that kind of healthy relationship. So I don't, I think a lot of times we get these unhealthy messages of your partner should be your everything and you should be able to tell everyone everything. Well, sometimes sharing everything will make the relationship really unhealthy and it can be really damaging. And so I think it is about making sure that you have your people, your space, your time to, to be able to talk about the things that are really important, but that, you know, your, your partner couldn't handle maybe at that particular time or maybe ever. Um, So, yeah, I think I agree with you. Like a, a problem shared is a problem halved, but that doesn't mean that you always share with just that one person. You might share it with with other people, or maybe you journal about it. Like for me, I have a journal. I, I find it really accessible so that if I'm overwhelmed by things, I can really break it down in my head and, and write it out. 
because maybe I wouldn't be able to like text a friend right away in that moment. So I think it's about figuring out what you need to to kind of take care of you. I think to maybe especially with farmers, it seems like so many of us are people who like to fix things um, mm-hmm. that especially, you know, if I have a problem that's mostly emotional or where there's a stress that really nothing is going to fix it except time and there's really no control over the situation, handing that to someone who deals with things entirely by fixing them is not going to be helpful um it's just frustrating for everyone at that point so Mm -hmm. one of the other questions we had gotten is how we draw boundaries when a partner refuses to get or accept professional help and it is really negatively impacting the family especially if there's you know kids involved and i mean Mental health is a a health problem. It's nobody's fault that they have these issues or that they're struggling with things. But also, you have, you know, occasionally small people whose safety and health is your responsibility. And, you know, and also for ourselves, not being stuck in a horribly unhappy situation. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is really important. It definitely doesn't have an easy answer. And before I get into that, I do want to circle back around to something that you had just said about how um, some things you might not share with your your partner because they might more go into the kind of that fixing mentality. I mean, I agree wholeheartedly. I think that that is something that happens a lot. And I think that sometimes it's just recognizing it's like, okay, well, there's going to be certain people in our life that know how to make us laugh. And there's certain people in our life who might be able to give really great advice. And sometimes you need that fixing. And sometimes you just need that person that will just listen and sometimes you just need to hold that in yourself and not share it at all. And it's it's figuring out what you need, first of all, is, is a big part. And I do think that couples can work on that fixing piece. Um, I know with my husband, because he is a fixer too, we've kind of come up with this thing where it's like, do you need me to listen to help or do you need me just to, to listen and be there? And he's learned that for me, and this is going to sound really weird, but I like I like being told it's going to be okay. Like, even if it's not going to be okay, I just want him to tell me it's going to be okay and, and just give me a hug. And so he's, he's learned that I don't always want advice on how to handle situations. So I think with partners, sometimes if we tell them what we need and they're willing to learn, sometimes they can give us a little bit more and sometimes they can't. And sometimes we just have to go to other people because they, they give that um, in an easier way for them. So, but I'm really glad that you brought up the fixing thing that really resonated with me. Um, in terms of when uh, someone has refusal to get professional help, I think it, it's a tricky one and it can be really situation specific, first of all. Uh, but I think that if if what the person is doing, if their behavior is causing harm, um, and I, I can't help but thinking about like drinking and, and how that can really come up that way or or maybe their emotions, their difficulty managing like anger can create a space where it doesn't feel safe for you or like you said, for the little ones. I think the boundaries might have to be more intense. Um, I think when that happens, that's when we might have to draw some physical boundaries and potentially have that person leave for a period of time or have us have a space that you can take you and the kids away to to, to be safe. Um, so I think physical boundaries can be really important when there is something happening that doesn't feel safe. If things feel safe, but they're just 
hurtful or, or damaging in some ways, then you can start kind of putting verbal boundaries down. It's like, I understand you're really upset right now. Um, we need to talk later because I can't, I can't hear what you're saying when you're this worked up. And then just, you know, either taking the space or the kids with you from that person at that time going into another room or even just encouraging that person to kind of go do the thing that might help them calm down. When it comes to getting professional help, I think the one thing that doesn't work from my experience has been ultimatums. Like a lot of times when we get really desperate um, and someone in our family is really struggling, sometimes we want to throw out an ultimatum there to say, if you don't do this, then this will happen and kind of drawing that hard line. And then the person may not go or they may go, but they may not actually try and it won't make any difference. And so it's really important that when someone does get help that they're motivated to do it. And so that's where I think ultimatums and boundaries are different. It's like an ultimatum is forcing someone to get help potentially before they're ready, where a boundary is saying, you know, if you don't get help with this, then I have to, you know, we, we need to take a break for a little bit, or um, we're going to have to take space when this happens, or the kids and I are going to go do this just because, and it's not saying you have to do this or this, it's saying, this isn't safe for us. We have to do, we have to make these choices um, until you're ready. So it, it, that way, when the person does go, it is their, it is their choice. Um, but it is so hard, right? Like you could just, you, you, a lot of times when you're outside of the experience, you can look in and say, well, these behaviors are so harmful. This emotion's so harmful. You know that there can be help um, available, whether it be medication or treatment um, or therapy. But it's it's hard because you're so helpless. Your hands are tied. We can't change another person. We can't control another person. We can just try to support them in it and protect ourselves and the, the ones that we love. Yeah, I think, too, from, you know, guests we've talked to, especially livestock farmers, you know, there's all these other lives that are depending on you. And I feel like there's so many of us were raised with, you know, these are the things where it's reasonable to leave. And they're all very mm -hmm. extreme situations. And mm -hmm. I think especially in small towns, like people know that other people are going to talk about why they broke up or, you know, why one of them moved out or mm -hmm. was this reasonable? And, you know, what horrible thing do we think was happening? Because probably it was just that they weren't happy, but we'll come up with something more dramatic because... Mm -hmm. Nobody just wants to hear that somebody wasn't happy. Like, nothing right. exciting to gossip about there, you know. And there's just so much other pressure that, you know, I, I feel like mm -hmm. so many of us were raised with, you know, if your partner hits you, then you leave. That's that's the boundary and not, right. you know, but then you have kids and you realize that they're learning how to be people from what they're seeing you do yes and that was yeah that's a terrifying thing I try not to think about too much because there's not enough therapy in the world for that one um you know <laughs> like oh they're they're learning how to treat their own partners and how to expect to be treated from what they're seeing us do um exactly and that's you know, having read some of Gottman's books myself, I really like that so much of their philosophy seems to be centered around respecting each other because Absolutely. there's definitely days that I don't even really like my husband. Sorry, dear. Hey. Uh, <laughs> not sure if I hope you're listening to this episode or not, but I try to make sure that we always 
respect each other and that that's what our kids are seeing because that is something that once you break it is pretty damn hard to get back. I agree. Okay, well, now that we've had my therapy session for the day, that's good. <laughs> Yay. No, I think I th I think that I think that is so important. I I'm reminded there's uh uh you may have heard of her too. Brené Brown talks about this thing called the marble jar and in relationships, you know, whenever, you know, someone does something that builds our trust or that we feel we're respected, it throws something in the marble. It throws a marble in the jar or several marbles in the jar. But every time someone does something hurtful or harmful, we start losing marbles. And and sometimes what happens when relationships break down is there's just no marbles left. You know, there's been just too many negative interactions or too many betrayals of trust on a variety of different levels or too much disrespect or lack of appreciation. And it just causes their relationship to to totally break down. And I agree with you that I think sometimes people will stay together for the kids, but sometimes you have to break up for the kids to show them that this is what a healthy relationship looks like. And sometimes the healthiest relationships are the ones that aren't together. And so it's, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. It, like I said, that's why I always think relationships take a lot of work and you need to have both partners working on it. Well, and I, I know too, that with the respect thing, it, it turns out that some signs of respect, I think, are pretty universal, but a lot of them are very personality-based, and how much work you yeah. have to put into communicating what you will find disrespectful and what you don't see as disrespectful. Um, for example, in our house, one thing that is pretty common is we'll say, you know, oh, this meal you made is horrible. I'll get rid of it. You know, I will eat all of it so mm -hmm. that you are not forced to eat this horrible thing. And my husband did that once when we had somebody over for supper, just didn't think about it and was like, oh, this is disgusting. I will eat it so you don't have to. And the look mm -hmm. on their face that my husband would sit at the table and say this to me, you know, where it never even occurred to me that it would be taken as being disrespectful because I do the same yeah. thing to him and I'll be like, oh, no, this... This pie we bought is terrible. You don't want any of this. I'll just mm -hmm. I'll just eat it so you don't have to, you know. And <laughs> yeah. how much we have to really communicate around what our families taught us and what we see about these things mm -hmm. because they are not universal and mm -hmm. you know, I mean there's things that are, but there's a lot that is not and and making sure our kids know which of these things is not universal. Because it, it does occur to me that mm -hmm. I don't want my kids to think that going to someone's house and insulting their cooking is a universally <laughs> um, acceptable thing to do. Yeah, that moment you're embarrassed. Yeah. You're like, oh, great. Thanks, baby. <laughs> so while we're talking about family culture, another question that came in from a listener was about that extended families piece, right? I mean, so many of us are living very close or working with or maybe even living with um, extended families, people who are not part of our partnered relationship, but are part of our, our lives. So what are some, some tips for how couples can approach the stresses that come in with other people, <laughs> whether they be I mean, I'm specifically talking about family, but I mean, family can also be just the, you know, the, the close people in your life that, that put pressure on your relationship that are not part of it, but end up uh, playing a part. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 
you know, just as, as we're, we're talking about these different things, I'm finding a bunch of different ideas kind of merging together. And I wish that I could, you could, everyone could, all the listeners could see me because I would like to draw basically a, like a diagram where there's a whole bunch of concentric circles at the center circle is just you. And then outside of that circle is you and your partner. And then outside of that circle can be maybe your kids. Um, and then outside of that might be your parents, your in-laws, your other really important people in as part of your life. And then you might go a little bit further and those might be kind of like, you know, I call them mom friends, uh, people that you're close to, but are just a little bit outside of the, the other uh, people. It, it could be your accountant, but then you just kind of keep going in terms of closeness and vulnerability and connection. And then with your partner, I think it's really key to kind of recognize that the two of you do have this circle that's apart from everybody else. It's a special circle. And in fact, I call it the circle of trust. When I talk about it with my husband, I'm like, I'm going to tell you something, but don't go in to the shop tomorrow and tell everybody in the shop what I just told you, because that will literally happen. Um, I'll be like, this is in our circle of trust. <laughs> and so, and it's just, it's, it's finding a way to kind of respect some boundaries that some of the conversations that you might have, even if it's about the farm, or maybe it's something even more personal, that, that some things just aren't meant to be, be shared. And it's the same thing when you're given advice or um, have other people kind of creating expectations. It's making sure that the two of you come together and say, okay, well, this is, this is what other people are expecting from us or wanting from us, or this is something someone had said to me. Um, and it's having that like really open communication to kind of say, okay, well, when this thing was said to me, this is how it made me feel. And so it's just making sure that you have that safe place in your circle with just your partner. And then as we were talking about before, um, you also have your own circle. So there's some things you're not even going to share with your partner and have boundaries around it. So I think uh, the big part is, is that when you're working with family um, or just working with other people that you're close to, is making sure that your partnership and your, maybe even just your immediate family has its own kind of separate space of things that are okay to talk about and not talk about outside of that and just protecting it. I know one thing that helped me a lot, Carrie, to marrying into a family that was very different from my own um was picturing myself wearing like a little you know a pith helmet and carrying a notebook and like being a little anthropologist and just trying to, to <laughs> study these people instead of going well what the hell is wrong with these people what the hell is wrong with me that I don't <laughs> understand these people because they all seem to think this is mm -hmm. normal and maybe it is normal and I'm the one who's screwed up and you know, we've been married 10 years this spring, and it's getting a little better, I think. But, you know, um, trying to really be aware of that, that it's not really that there's something wrong with you or them, that it's, it turns exactly. out that you're different people. And I really, I like the idea, too, of your circle starting with just you as mm -hmm. a person in your own right without your partner and your mm -hmm. kids and whatever else that you are still a, a self, you know, first and foremost. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. Um, it's not. So the other question I added here as a, as a fellow introvert is how do you, I don't, I'm trying to like think of how to say this that doesn't sound horrible. What do you do on the days that you just don't give a shit about, making your marriage healthy because there's some days that you know the kids are sick or the kids need something and work needs something and everybody else needs something and then you know you know that you should be a 
better partner, but fuck it, because, you know, you can feed yourself and you're not on fire, so figure it out. Like, <laughs> and I, I know that's a totally fine thing occasionally, but it seems like it can be a real slippery slope. And getting back up that slope is um, really hard. So it's, it would be nice to have some more tools for sort of stopping that slide before you hit the bottom of it. Okay. So fix all my life problems, please, Carrie. <laughs> well, I first of all just want to like, because I'm going to connect this, I promise, but I really liked how you were described going into um, your, your husband's family with this like hat of curiosity. Like I, I, I could picture the clipboard and everything. And I think when, when it comes to being in a relationship, being curious and being compassionate are amazing things. And I can hear that in the way that you're describing things. So I think in terms of the question that you asked around kind of the introverted, when you have like nothing left, your batteries are drained, you're struggling. I want you, I, I always encourage people and, and believe me, I struggle with practicing this myself um, is you got to be curious and compassionate with yourself too. Like if you don't want to slip too far downwards, part of that is kind of being like, what's going on with me? Like, you know, just pausing for a moment with all the demands coming around you and going to find a space for me, honest to God, sometimes it's the car. I sit in the car a lot. <laughs> like I'll come, come home and I, if there's nobody else with me, that is my, my quiet space where I just like the bathroom is a safe space because it has a lock. Although everyone here knows how to defeat the lock, which is frustrating, but, it, but mostly is take space for yourself. Be curious about what's going on for you. Why do you not have anything left to give? Why are you just wanting to say screw it and not give anything else? And be compassionate towards yourself. Be like, geez, the kids are sick. Um, you know, I'm not feeling appreciated. I'm feeling exhausted. I haven't slept well for the last couple of nights. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's being, it's, I, two people out. If you're an introvert, it's also recognizing maybe you've had too many people around you and, and that's draining, right? Like extroverts, a lot of people think extroverts are people who are outgoing. Extroverts are people who charge by being around other people. Um, I have two children that are like that. I have no idea how I created them, but, but introverts need that time on their own and in order to recharge. And so if you have human beings around you, even your partner, it's too much. And so I think a big part is that if you're feeling that way, be curious, be compassionate towards yourself too, and take that space. Cause otherwise things will slip. Like if you just kind of try to keep giving and keep pushing, um, you're going to get to the point of extreme frustration, maybe even resentment, uh, for, for having demands made of you and then just say, screw it and shut down entirely. Where I think the way to prevent the slippery slope is to, to make sure you give yourself space. I say ideally every day, I know this sounds really crazy, but I give myself five minutes every day and I know that's not a lot of time, but it makes a huge difference. Like I just take five minutes away from everything else to just be still and kind of be like, okay, what's going on with you? Um, and so I think that can, I think preventative work is, is really key. But if you notice yourself slipping that way and feeling resentful, it's again, it, it might be even telling your partner when you're in a good space, be like, sometimes I slip and I need your help to call me out on that and say, whoa, you know, you're not in a good space and then kind of help give me that time to, to reconnect with myself. Did that answer that? Yes, it, it really did. I think, too, when you talk about five minutes not being that much time, I find so often for myself it's not. You know, if I took a really long vacation and sat on the beach for a whole week, 
I would not find that relaxing. But sometimes that 10 minutes of just to heck with the lot of you and, you know, <laughs> unless you're actually on fire, do not bother me for the next 10 minutes. And exactly. just exactly. carving that space out for yourself can be so helpful, even if it's not, you know, it's it's not about the amount of time or going and doing something. It's just about the giving yourself the permission to take whatever it is that you're taking. Um, yes. Which is why I'm going on vacation yeah, next week. Yeah, and it has to be. So. <laughs> and is it that you're visiting I, um, Arlene? Yeah, Did I hear yeah. that? On, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so wonderful. There will be no beaches. Well, I mean, there could be, but the water will be frozen. <laughs> oh, the, the fine, fine beaches of Ontario in mid-February. Delightful. Yeah, delightful. It'd be cold and windy. very cold. <laughs> so as a parent... It seems like, especially in those early days and months of becoming a new parent, and I'll say it especially for moms, you have a total life change that takes a long time to, to figure out for yourself, and that can impact your relationship in a lot of different ways. Do you have any thoughts on helping people through that transition time? Because that seems to be a really critical stage it seems like from when you're going from a couple to a family and how how I mean you can still in theory think yes we're the, we're the center you know I'm a person and my 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 partner is the second circle but when you have a, an infant in your house for the first time it's they are so demanding <laughs> and mm -hmm. you don't feel like a self anymore so do you have any no. thoughts on how people can kind of get through that period and keep their relationship intact? Because I feel like that's a, a critical point in a lot of, a lot of relationships. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think that with that, it's a big part is adjusting expectations. So when we think about that, we go through seasons in the year, like spring, fall, summer, or we think about seasons in farming, whether it be kind of calving season or lambing season or planting season. When we think about all these seasons, we also have seasons in our lives and our relationship. And I think when you are moving to parenthood, a big part is just recognizing things start to change. The boundaries start to change. The, the responsibilities change. Um, and, and I think it's really important to just kind of flex on those expectations, recognizing you're probably not going to have as much time for each other. You're not going to, I mean, a lot of times, I mean, I, I always think that right after having a baby, my highest priority thing, if I have a moment is to have a shower and, you know, it's like, no, I don't want to cuddle. I want to have a shower, you know, like, and, and, and you're in survival mode. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is that initially you're in that survival mode, which means fight or flight, like your cortisol is going, you're exhausted. Um, you know, you know, if you, women can have, and, and men can have this oxytocin, which, which is really good for bonding with the infant, but all of a sudden our priority shifts, right. And our focus might become prioritizing the baby. And that's a season of, of a marriage, right. When you first have a baby, your focus might be on the baby. Maybe that circle changes and the baby is kind of like the closest circle next to you. And then it's your partner, but it's still trying to find ways to be close and connected and, and being able to say, okay, this is just where we are right now. How can we still support one another? How can we still share responsibilities? And I find in farming, what's even harder about it is that there's no paid parental leave, right? And so um, you you don't get that same beautiful opportunity where, and this is a traditional, more of a traditional makeup here, um, 
where your partner can be there with you in the trenches for the first couple of weeks and when you're not sleeping and then, you know, your, your partner can be at home letting you get a nap. That isn't possible depending on our babies have always been born in, in harvest. <laughs> I don't know how that keeps happening, but, but that means that, you know, I'm, he's there for me as much as he could be, but for the most part, I'm on, I'm on my own. I'm really in survival mode. And so I think some of it is planning ahead, making sure other supports can be in place other people can be there, being patient with one another and just recognizing that that's a special season of your relationship. It's this incredible bonding time where you're bonding over being parents, but it's also kind of a time where you might feel the most disconnected because your priorities and your focus are shifting and changing. But again, I always go back to making sure that in that space, if you want to be able to be a good partner and if you want to be a good parent to your baby you do still have to really find, carve out that five, 10 minutes for yourself or longer if you can. Have, take that shower, um, have that nap if there's someone willing to, to help you. But it is, I think a big part is, is just recognizing that things are going to change and that that change will evolve. As the, the child gets older, you'll have more time for each other again. So it's just being flexible with those expectations, asking each other what, what you need because that's going to be different, communicating what those, those things are. Um, and just recognizing if, if in your family, it's not possible for both of you to be in there in the trenches doing all the work together, it's finding other people um, in your life that can, can kind of help with that so that you don't feel so isolated in, in, that, in that space, right? It's so hard, especially, you know, I can say even for myself, um, my husband's like, oh, you know, you're a harvest widow or something like that. And, and it can be really alone, uh, really lonely and isolating, especially if you have a small human waking you up every two to three hours and, and needing you for everything. Yeah. And so often it can feel like, um, speaking as a mother that, you know, my husband's life didn't change all that much. Right. <laughs> you know, like that he still walked out the door in the morning and assumed that everything was okay in the house. And for the most part, you know, we managed, I coped, but yeah, there were lots of days where it's like, why has everything in my life changed? <laughs> and yeah. you seem to be able to just like walk around. Like you can just like walk out the door. <laughs> that just seemed, you know, like yeah. in those moments, it feels like that. Even just, you know, walking out the door, having a shower without asking someone else <laughs> for help to do that. <laughs> right? Like you don't have to ask, ask anyone no to help you so you can mm -hmm. go to the bathroom <laughs> or you don't have to take anyone with you. Like all of those mm -hmm. basic, basic needs all of a sudden feel impossible. Agreed. Yeah. Well, and Arlene too, I think uh, for so many of us who have married onto farms, you know, that we've married into a business with a family that might live right across the road and you know maybe we're living in our husband's childhood home and then we have a baby and then he gets to just keep doing what he was doing and yeah now we can't even find a tv remote without you know help and it's yeah it, it can feel like a a series of things where his life just got more interesting and and cuddlier and your life just got more poop uh literally and metaphorical poop and that can it's just not literal yes uh, yeah when that can build resentment right when you notice those things happening and i think that's where a lot of there's a lot more conversation around the invisible labor of the primary caregiver and recognizing 
all these small little things that you do day in and day out that really add up. Um, and sometimes when the, when the other person gets to leave the house without those significant changes, or even may come home and the house looks just as much of a disaster as when they left, but you've worked nonstop, you know, at, at keeping all the, all the poo together. <laughs> so it can be, yeah, it can, it can be really frustrating. And so I think sometimes it's just being like, you know, this is what my day looked like. This is how hard it was. These are all the fires I put out and, and they matter. Right. Yeah. Another thought I had before we move on to our uh, wrap up fun questions was as a parent, sometimes it feels like there's extra pressure on your relationship because you're trying to model a relationship for your kids which I know is important. And I know I've heard lots about before about, um, you know, fighting fair and letting kids see you resolve your arguments and all the, you know, nice in theory things. But okay. how do you both have a healthy relationship and model a healthy relationship without compromising <laughs> your relationship? I guess it's kind of going in a circle, but do you know what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. No, and I agree. And I think that's when I think we get inundated with too many messages of what the right thing to do is um in in a family or in a couple like I think it's about figuring out what feels safe and okay in your family and again I think that's kind of comes back to to Katie's uh conversation around like recognizing we each come in with with different relationship experiences and family experiences and that informs what being respectful or fighting fair or how we can be communicated with like I'm really sensitive to yelling so that doesn't work too well with me I shut down immediately um, where there's other families that yell at each other constantly. Um, so it's about figuring out what works for you. And then it's also recognizing you don't need to be perfect. Um, I think that's that's a huge part. Like you don't have to have the perfect relationship. You don't have to always choose your words perfectly. It'd be nice if you can sometimes do that um, when you're you're fully charged and, and ready to, to be a healthy person. But the key, I think, for me, or at least what I try to, to use that helps me and my family is, is to be accountable for your words or your actions. And so if you've said something off the cuff um, that was hurtful, for me, I swear, <laughs> like a lot, um, it's a coping strategy. And so I have small people, I, when they were little, I used to say fudge instead of the other word. But, but now I've just recognized that these little humans can tolerate me saying swear words and not say them themselves inappropriately, which is great. And so it's about being, being kind of flexible. I mean, like you don't have to be perfect and it's being accountable and it's making apologies. So if you've said or done something with one of the kids in your communication with them, or even your partner to let them see you come back and be like, I messed up there. Like I was really impatient. Um, I, I took some frustration out on you that had nothing to do with you uh, or those were really hurtful words I used. I wish I would have said it this way instead. And so I think the big part is be compassionate. Don't feel like you need to be perfect in your communication all the time. You can't be that perfect role model. And if you mess up, I think the most healthiest thing you can model for your kids is accountability and apologies. Those And like real apologies, not like, sorry, <laughs> which is how my kids say sorry to each other sometimes when I encourage them to do it. But like like a real story, like I messed up and I'm sorry for, for that. And this is how I would like to make it better. Don't be perfect. Got it. I can do don't that. have to be perfect. We can't be perfect. <laughs> yeah, like, that's right. Yeah. It's just recovering from all those imperfections that yeah, can, can sure. really be the healthiest things for kids to see. Yeah, I've started trying to apologize to my kids and it's 
it's hard. I mean, they're six and almost five, and so part of me feels like, you know, I'm a grown-up. I shouldn't have to apologize to you because that's how I was raised. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that they are still people, even if they're short, and you still have to be nice. And (laughs) that's how they learn to not be jerks to other people. So, Exactly. Exactly. And I think you had said that in a previous episode I was listening to about, like, that's kind of like the goal of parenting is, like, try to make sure that they're not jerks. Um, which is a lot I like of to say that my goal is that maybe they'll still have to go to therapy, but they should at least have to go to therapy for new stuff and not stuff that's like five generations old already. Because <laughs> this generational trauma is just, we could be done with that. It's it really pits. is. Yeah. So we ask all of our guests, if you were going to dominate a category at the county fair, what would it be? And categories can be real or made up to ensure that you win. Okay. <laughs> when I thought about this. I honestly wanted to come up with some really, really badass answer, um, but I'm terribly uncoordinated. Uh, but I am quite, and I'm not a good cook at all, although everyone does eat my food and complain about it. But I am really crafty. So, and my kids often uh, in our area, they often enter the competitions for school for like coloring or creating things. So I think anything that involved paint, scissors, or glue, I think I could dominate that. I think I could work that, that competition at the, the county fair. Sweet. Some kind, some kind of collage or something. I think there should be an adult. <laughs> exactly. I think I there totally should be an adult that. collage category. I used to rock a collage, although there are a lot less yeah. magazines than there used to be. It does make it harder, right? <laughs> Finding yeah. that print material. You have to you end up having to like print it off of your computer. <laughs> That's right. That's a lot more steps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts before you move into our uh, cussing and discussing segment? You covered a lot of territory today. I just thought I would in case you had any other, anything else that came across your mind before we move on completely? Or would you think we're good for now? I would say that the main message, if I could get it out to, to everyone in terms of the things that I feel really stand out, is just recognizing that the small things make a big difference um, and make a repair. Apologize when you mess up. Like, I think if you can can do those things to to kind of show appreciation to your partner to connect on a physical way or to connect on an emotional level, like all those small things. It can be even just a simple thing. Like, you know, I, you know, I, I might've saw something really cool on my phone and I wanted to, to show my partner that, you know, if he didn't look up from his phone and just kind of kept doing his own thing, that has an impact. Like you just don't feel, you don't feel connected. You don't feel valued, but just taking a moment to look up and take a look over and be like, Oh yeah, that's a really funny video, you know? And just, paying attention, uh, the Gottmans call it turning towards, like just turning towards and, and paying attention and showing value for what your partner does. Those small little things, those small acts really, really, really add up for a healthy relationship. It's good to know that the memes that my husband and I are sending each other are actually a, a good connecting tool. I uh, totally. hadn't thought it's of it like that way before. It's like therapeutic. It totally is. <laughs> there's, yeah, between the yes, no, <laughs> and can you get this thing text, there are a lot of uh, <laughs> strange, strange memes going back and forth. So that's, that's part, part of connecting as a couple. So we'll go ahead and move into our cussing and discussing segment, and listeners can leave their cussing and discussing entries with us. And you can check the show notes for our speak pipe or our email to leave those for us. Katie, what are you cussing and discussing this week? TV remotes. They're bullshit. (laughs) Did you lose one? No, we have like three of them. I mean, we have three of them because they keep getting lost. (laughs) But the battery doors fall off. The buttons don't work right. 
all of them have five times as many buttons as they can possibly actually need because, you know, they have their universal remotes because God knows what happened to the remote that came with the TV. But now we've got buttons for every possible thing under the sun and we only just have the TV. We don't have surround sound or a Blu-ray player or whatever else we have buttons for. And they're always sticky because we have little kids. And (laughs) I just... Two thumbs down. You know, we have people living in outer space. We should be able to have TV remotes that are not gross. That's that. Affirmative. And that aren't so complicated, too, right? But the kids never seem overwhelmed by it. They always know what buttons to press. But, you know, you're sitting there in the dark, and you can't tell what button you're hitting because you have to hit the button for the remote to light up so you can see what button it is. And then you get old. You know, you got your bifocals, and you're moving the remote back and forth so you can see what it (laughs) says. and, And it's sticky. Mm-hmm. Or it's down in the couch, and you have to stick your hand down in there, and God knows what else you're going to touch. I just... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I added tiles, like those little like pager thingies to our remotes, because I was tired of losing them and not being able to figure out where they were. So that's my hot tip for this week, is stick a tile on your uh, remote for when it gets stuck in the couch cushions, and then you don't have to check all them. Because I could walk into the room and ask the people who used the remote previously where it is, and none of them will have any idea. I hit the button and it's exactly where they were sitting. The worst, too, is (laughs) we're just now getting out of the phase where we had to hide the remote to stop them from changing the channel on each other when they'd fight. And so we'd hide the remote (laughs) and then we'd never be able to find the damn thing again. It'd be like, well, it's, you know, on top of the china cabinet. Like, I don't know where it is because you got to put it somewhere they can't see it. That was the hiding place today. You know, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, Carrie, what do you have to cuss and discuss? Well, I do have a quick question, Arlene. How, how do you get the tile thing to stick to the the remote control? Because we're always losing. It. I think it's like the main source of conflict in there. There are some that the are like our little round stickers. They actually have like oh. two sided tape on them, and those are the kind I bought. Now, when the sticky stuff wears off, then I just like use packing tape <laughs> and okay. stuck it back just on again. Off. But yeah. yeah, there are like little round like button style tiles that have like two sided oh. tape, and you can okay. stick them to whatever you want. Thank you so much. That I'm actually going to be implementing because we can never find the remote control ever. Yeah. And it usually is in the couch cushions mixed in with goldfish crackers. But yes, uh, yeah. Yeah. All so the that's problems. Awesome. They should look <laughs> yeah. into using that as a as a building material that like cement that yeah. forms between the couch arms or whatever. Oh. Ugh. So gross. Yeah. Okay. yeah. With anyway. all the pet fur. So, Carrie, what were you actually going to um, now? See, I just interrupted well, you again. Yeah. I, no, no. It totally came up to me today. I, at first, I was going to talk about um, apologies because we had it come up on our on the weekend where two kids were, were fighting and they were just like, oh, sorry. And like, just didn't get that. But then I was like really agitated when I went. I got coffee this morning. It was a little treat for me. Um, and as I was in the, the drive-thru, and anyone in my area might actually know about the sign that I'm talking about. But you know how like in the drive-thru of... Um, Tim Hortons often has like a like a whole bunch of signs advertising businesses like it's a prime location obviously when you're sitting in the drive-thru and one of those things there what really bothers me it's it's two real estate professionals and it says buy a bigger house it's cheaper than divorce that's the message and it really really bothers me not just because it's superficial um, but it really bothers me because I think it's playing on people's vulnerabilities um, and their insecurities. And, and it's also giving the opposite of the message that we've been talking about today, where you have to do these really big things in order to keep your relationship healthy. It's like 
you know, oh, your partner's not happy, then you need to buy them a bigger house or you should, you know, buy them a new piece of jewelry or in my case, buy my husband a new Massey tractor. Like, you know, it's right. It's, yeah. It's, Throw money at all it. That'll crash. fix it. Throw yeah. money at it. That'll fix it. Yeah. That'll solve it. I just, it bothers me. Like, I'm like, oh, it's playing on vulnerabilities. It's also the wrong message. Like, it's not true at all. Sometimes buying that bigger house would be the thing that causes a relationship to break down further because of the financial strain. Mm-hmm. So that's, that was my agitating piece today is that, that unhealthy message. Yeah. I imagine that as a couples therapist, that would, uh, Definitely be a, not the message you want to see. You need to just put your ad out there that says, you know, couples therapy, cheaper than divorce or a bigger house. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, put yours right yeah. beside just it. Put a sticker on I it. I honestly thought about that. I was like, could I? You should. <laughs> yeah. You'll, you'll see the National Farmer Mental Health Alliance now. Yeah. They're probably supporting this healthier message. Arlene, what do you have to... People would notice it. Yeah. What do you have to cuss and discuss? We had a conversation earlier this week. We've had a pretty busy week with interviews, and we had a conversation earlier this week where we talked about not having or trying to reduce the amount of guilt that we have. And then not very long after, I got a call from the principal for one of the kids. They did a thing. It doesn't really matter what it is. But my immediate response in my head was feeling guilty myself for what my kid had done. And I don't know how I get... I mean, I'm sure that probably lots of people feel the same way. So that's why I'm saying it. But it's just like such a weird brain thing to be like, I didn't do that. You know, like, yes, the person that lives in my house and who happens to be my child did that thing. But I did not do that thing. So why do I feel so bad about it? I mean, yes, he's, you know, there were going to be consequences and we were going to discuss it and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it, it you're, my brain jumped immediately to, oh, I feel so bad. What am I going to do uh, to make this better? And it was like, that's not my job. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was just interesting that we'd also had just had that conversation. So yeah, that's where my head went. But at least I had the, I also had it in my head to be like, stop. <laughs> you know, this is, this is not your thing. Mm-mm. It's not. And yet sometimes we feel like it is like we can feel really judged for the actions of our children or any one of our family members as if we shaped them into that human. And although you might have an influence on it, you Mm -hmm. can't control it. So, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So that was my thing this week. So I'm still going to say just remember, just be like, I'm a good mom. (laughs) Banish the guilt. (laughs) That's right. Get rid of that guilt. And extended family. bonuses one of his consequences was that he had to go and shovel grandma's front steps so it all worked out she got chores done and (laughs) he got uh, some consequences for some things that went on so we want to thank you so much carrie for joining us today if people want to connect with you where should they find you online what's the what's the link um in terms of my private practice they if they if someone wanted to work with me they could find me at flourishwithcompassion.com or they could follow me on my Instagram account, which I just love. It's such a fun, creative place for me um, at compassionate underscore counselor. Or you can find me through the National Pharma Mental Health Alliance, which is nfmha.ca. Or you can follow us online at um, nfmha alliance, (laughs) which is unfortunate that we couldn't find something simpler there. So you can find us either probably on our website or, or online. Definitely. And we will include all that in the show notes too. Thank you. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for talking. And happy to Valentine's here. Day to all of our listeners. Thank you for joining us today on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. 
go to www.patreon.com backslash barnyard language to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making the show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you'd like to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We're always in search of future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, get in touch. We are a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network.